You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. What is up, Guidepost listeners? This is Cody Rubner here with you today, and uh, you've probably heard my name a couple times throughout past podcast recordings. Normally, I am behind the scenes on the mixing board, chopping up and censoring Tony and Will's uh, fiery debates about policy and fisheries and everything that is good on the East Coast in the Atlantic Ocean. That being said, wanted to hop on the podcast today. I'm here with our good friend, Will Poston, who you all know. Uh, who holds it down on the policy front for ASGA. Will, how are you doing, my friends? Yep, and uh, that's what the mixing board and a little bit of editing is for, right? When it goes off the track, we can polish it up a little bit and try to make it seem like uh, we're a little bit more polished than we are. But now you, I know you have not been fishing recently, right? You've been maybe indulging in land-based activities in the last couple. Of- Love it, love it, dude. And I actually, I think the last time we fished together was on on the Cape last spring so looking forward to that as well i uh i've been on the water uh, a lot this week and unfortunately been unable to respond to your texts because uh one of our trips on monday what the lord giveth the lord taketh and uh, we had a first permit on the boat and that was very exciting and then shortly after we lost my cell phone to davy jones locker so unfortunately that is why i've been ignoring your texts and calls but uh we have an awesome guest here to tie it back to our last day fishing on Cape Cod. I actually grew up on Cape Cod. I grew up in Centerville. It's where I fell in love with the ocean and while I'm doing everything I'm doing today. And uh, seeing some stuff in the news recently uh, that caught my eye, and I'm glad that our guest is really leading a rally cry here. We'll dive into the details in a minute. And we've seen some really cool examples in the southeast part of the country uh, about what some organizations are doing to protect their water and their water management. And I think uh, what we're seeing start in the fishing community and the coastal communities in New England uh, might follow suit and looks pretty, pretty, uh, pretty promising for uh, the power of a unified voice. So I want to take a moment now to introduce uh, a friend, Ryan Collins from My Fishing Cape Cod. Thank you for joining us, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Cody. And thank you, Cody and Will, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And I'm sure uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of what's going on here. And I'm sure it's it's almost feels like a, a broken record, but uh, a uh, record that needs to be preached to continue to spread the voice. So uh, happy to have you on here. But for for a quick step back and maybe to start on a more positive light, uh, why don't you just for a minute kind of tell us about where you grew up, uh, how you fell in love with fishing, uh, maybe, you know, your, your childhood story and connection to the oceans, and then a little bit about my fish in Cape Cod as well. I had a great opportunity to grow up in the town of Bourne, right by the legendary Cape Cod Canal, which I'm sure you guys know very well. Pretty much anybody who fishes for stripers is probably familiar with the Cape Cod Canal. I think that is true. Yeah, absolutely. 
And you asked um, how I got started fishing. Well, it was all with mackerel. Caught a mackerel when I was about five years old, and you know that was the end of that. And I've really been blessed with starting my fishing Cape Cod 11 years ago. It's a membership website that provides fishing information for this area. And it's really been a blessing for me because it's allowed me to do what I love as a career, and that is fishing. And as you know, there's a lot more behind the scenes, but I'm pretty much doing what I love for, for a job. And, you know, I couldn't be more thankful to the members of my fishing Cape Cod who really support me in that. So uh, this area has just given me so much, especially Cape Cod Bay, which we'll talk about in today's show. And I really feel inspired and motivated to do whatever I can to give back to Cape Cod because it has provided me with so much in my life. I love it, man. That, that's fantastic. You know, two things there. The first being, I, I love that you fell in love with it through mackerel. I was actually talking with one of my anglers uh, on a trip on Monday, and he was saying, we saw a spinner shark jump. And he said, you know what? I got to thank spinner sharks because a lot of people, you know, just kind of they're there and they're not the target. But he said he was struggling to get his son into fishing. And then his son one day said, hey, dad, can I go catch a shark? And that one shark was what hooked him into now a lifetime of fishing with his with his dad. And so it's not always the trophy mega 40 pound striper or a silver tarpon jumping on the skyline. You know, sometimes it's the the less fancy ones. It's a bucket of bait. It's a dead mackerel. I don't know. Will, do you have a do you have your fish that was your your intro fish, your hook fish? Mine was probably an old cane pole largemouth bass when I was like I don't even remember it, but I have the picture of me holding this bass with my grandfather. And that that one I think was probably the conception um for me. Love it. Uh but yeah, Brian, so was that was that mackerel um, you know, Sabiki rigging, or were you uh catching that to go up the food chain? It was on a Christmas tree rig and it was on a field trip that my dad had organized. So we were out there with a bunch of kids. We went whale watching on a Captain John boat at Stellwagen Bank to start the day. And I just couldn't wait for the whale watching portion to be over because I knew that we were going to do some <laughs> fishing on the way back in. I love watching whales, don't get me wrong, but I still remember that day. And it was on a Christmas tree rig. We weren't going to live line them to stripers. It was just for the pure sport of catching mackerel. And I do think that for anyone who lives in my area, or New England in general, if you're looking to get a kid hooked on fishing, boy, pulling up three or four mackerel at one time, that is a dynamite way to get a kid hooked on fishing. 100%. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I've learned early on in my guiding career that uh, sometimes it's the little things that can can bring the most enjoyment, especially on the kids' trip. So you got to take a step back from your own ego of, what you normally intend to pursue and realize sometimes just something pulling on the end of the line consistently is, is all it takes to, to hook that uh, and spark that energy and that love. Um, Definitely. And I, and I, I also love the second part of what you said about, you know, you said that you, you love what you do and that's, you know, you love what you do day to day and whether or not the behind the scenes stuff, I'm sure there is a lot of BS that goes into running the community, organizing the events and everything else you go, got going on but that that's kind of the american dream right as you wake up and you go through the good and the bad of whatever that day may be but you do what you love and you're contributing to something uh with a little bit of a higher power than you and that's uh that's pretty awesome so commend that 100 percent. and i also think 
it'll make sense to our listeners here as they hear what you're doing now and the voice you're trying to raise. Someone who isn't passionate about what they do and doesn't love what they do is not going to fight for something. If they don't love it. They're not going to fight for it. So, uh, you know, I think I think that makes a, a ton of sense. And um, I guess we can kind of dive right in. That's about as good of a, a, prelude, uh, a preface there as you can get. Right, Cody? Yeah. Well, I believe it was Flip Pallet who, who said, if people don't love it, they won't fight for it. And so if I misquoted another legend and it wasn't Flip, Flip, there's your bonus points. I don't know. Flip, Flip's probably in the woods right now and not listening to this. But uh, if I misquoted someone else, I apologize. But yeah, let's let's take the deep dive in and let's go very, very high level off the jump. There is a nuclear power plant that is located in Plymouth, Massachusetts that was owned by Pilgrim and purchased by Holtec, the decommissioning company. So far, have I set the scene appropriately, Ryan? Yeah, I think you set the scene appropriately for sure. And this power plant, it's right up the street from where I live. And I grew up in the shadow of this power plant back in the mid-1960s. My father and my uncles actually watched this power plant be constructed in Plymouth. They grew up on the shores of Manomet, which is just a couple miles south of the power plant. And, you know, at the time, I guess the town of Plymouth thought it was a great idea to invite the power plant in. But, you know, for my family, we're really more nature oriented and we couldn't help but, you know, feel sad watching the coastline go from a green lush paradise to a industrial no man's land. That's really what it was turned into. But the good news, like you mentioned, you know, here we are in 2023 and this power plant is being decommissioned, which means that it's being taken down. The buildings are being taken down and removed and all the nuclear waste is being dealt with. And that's the stage we're at right now. And I, I think that is an important detail. And at some point here, you'll probably hear me uh, name drop the Piney Point issue that went down in Tampa Bay, Florida. I don't know if you know anything about that. That was a phosphate uh, a mining operation that had a whole whole wealth of, of issues that went on. But the, the major comparison here between that and this was that this is in the process of being decommissioned, right? Which is inherently as far as you're looking at it and your community is looking at it, a positive, right? You called it an eyesore. You did not want to have it around. So the fact that this is in the process of being removed, but that present, presents a, a very difficult uh, aspect of taking apart a nuclear power plant, which is what do you do with all of the nuclear discharges, right? What do you do with all of the water that was used to, to cool the systems and I will not claim to be an expert on nuclear power. I don't think Will will uh, either. Uh, so I can't. Well, you, you didn't know I had a degree in nuclear uh, fission or fusion, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, if you did, I think you would be making a lot of money somewhere else and not on the podcast <laughs> with my ugly face talking about fish. Oh, so, well, good assumption. Yeah. So we will not claim to be nuclear experts in this process, but. There, there is a lot of byproduct here in the process of creating nuclear power, and that's the issue right now, Ryan, correct, is where does this go and what do we do with it? That's correct. And the hot item right now is the 1.1 million gallons of radioactive water that's sitting on site. 
And like you said, I am not a nuclear scientist as well. And I want to stress that I am just a concerned citizen. So this water is not the water that, you know, people are accustomed to seeing at power plants, you know, that's circulating, being sucked in from the ocean and flushed back out. This is not that water. This is water that has been sitting there for years. And I was under the impression that most of the water was used to cool spent nuclear fuel rods. But at the last NDCAP meeting, and an NDCAP meeting is a nuclear decommissioning citizens advisory panel. That's and just what good... we needed was one more acronym in this entire exactly. project. Thank yeah, you right. so much. If you could add a couple more throughout this interview, our, our listeners at this point, they have like an entire yearbook of acronyms that they flip through while they listen. So thank you for one more. Yeah, one more. NDCAP. So without these meetings, I feel like all this information wouldn't get out to the general public. So I'm really thankful that we have these NDCAP meetings or else we probably wouldn't be having this podcast. Um, but at that last meeting, I learned that not only is it spent or not only is it water that was used to cool spent nuclear fuel rods, but it's also been co-mingled is the word they use with other water, other wastewater around the plant. And that's a big thing, Cody, is that the general public doesn't know for sure what is even in this water. There's been no independent assessment done. There's been no details revealed to the public. We're kind of in the blind here as, a, as with regards to exactly what is in this water. And that's a big concern because Holtec is pushing to release this water into Cape Cod Bay. And the last date that they talked about was the September timeframe. So it's now, now's the time to be talking about this. And they are pushing to release this water into Cape Cod Bay for sure. And and Ryan, so when I was kind of doing some research, I was kind of gathering that there are several or four potential options to like get rid of this potential, you know, discharge fluid, what, what, what have you. Um, and it's pretty clear that the discharging one is the one getting pushed right now because it's the cheapest. Is that, is that kind of an accurate statement? Yes, that seems to be the consensus at these meetings that I've attended and with everybody that I've spoken to, you know, I really appreciate the work that whole tech's doing and I want to get that, you know, out there right off the bat. I'm not here to you know, vindicate a company or say these people are bad because they're not. There's good people working here. They're trying to do their job, but it is a business. And I feel that one way that they're keeping costs low is to, whenever possible, discharge the water from these plants as opposed to these alternative options. One, which is the most appealing for me, and I think a lot of people, is to have this water, this 1.1 million gallons, trucked off-site. There's a place in Texas that's accepting nuclear waste every single day. And they could take this water, truck it out, put it on a train, and send it to Texas where there's a facility that's able to accept this. That is an option that I would like to hear more talk about. That option is 
definitely more expensive than just pulling the plug and letting it drain into Cape Cod Bay. And I also want to state that I am not under the impression that Cape Cod Bay has got a light on fire when they do this. You know, they are going to filter the water. There are very smart people, you know, behind the scenes here. But still, when there's an option on the table to truck this water to a facility that is accepting nuclear waste on a daily basis that can handle this, that just makes so much more sense to me than risking maybe some adverse long-term effects that nobody's thought about by releasing this water into the bay. Yeah, I mean, ecological or, you know, societal, right? Like, I mean, people people eat fish and shellfish out of Cape Cod Bay every day. And I mean, it doesn't, it's not too far-fetched to think that if this stuff is potentially as bad as some are saying, it's just going to bioaccumulate and become a huge problem down the road, right? That's a huge concern for the lobstermen here, the shell fishermen. It's a huge concern for everybody. Now, what they're telling us is that the water will be, you know, safe enough to drink after they're done filtering it. And you know what? I hope they're right. I really do. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that I would rather drink. Uh, you know, I think I would let all the employees of said decommissioning company try try a mug, fill up a stein before uh, I hopped in line to to take a sip there. Exactly. And, you know, this company, they haven't provided us with a lot of trust and we don't have a lot of reason to take them on their word, mm -hmm. to say the least, you know, communication between the towns around here and the company Holtec has been really difficult. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for these NDCAP meetings that happen once every two months, we really wouldn't know anything about you know, what they're up to over there. That point right there, Ryan, is really important. And I want to, again, uh, commend you for this because while uh, both of the faces on here, me and Will, are, are younger in our careers in this game, whether it's fisheries policy, water water policy, in the last five years, the, the crash course that I've taken and the stuff that's been the most shocking to me. And, you know, when we complain to maybe someone like Tony, who's been doing this for decades, he's like, yeah, no shit. You know, I'm used to it by now. But What's really important here is you go to those meetings. How many people, on, to, to estimate at the last meeting, Ryan, how many people do you think were there? I would say there were probably 30, 35 people. 30. Yeah, um, right. And this is going to affect hundreds of thousands to millions of people, depending on what Will hit about uh, seafood, seafood sourcing and where that would be shipped domestically and whatever that may be. This affects more than... You know, this isn't a fight of a not my backyard. This is a handful of people saying, hey, don't something, dump something here because I live here and I like the water to look a certain way. This has major ramifications. And at any given time, one of these really crucial meetings that gives you a direct behind the scenes look at whether it be the financials, the regulatory policies that might be in play here, you got 30 people. And I'm sure they're inconvenient as, a you know, as with anything, they'll be on an evening after everyone's getting out of work or driving home from work or to be on a weekend, whatever that may be. And so that's why I really want to commend you that it's important that you're bouncing around saying, hey, this is going on here. We need to be talking about this at a way larger scale. So thank you for doing so. And hopefully this podcast, will, um, along with the other blogs and whatever else you may have going, the videos you've been putting on YouTube, they help start the conversation at the scale of thousands. And when you've got that critical mass... Then when something pops on as a call to action, like, hey, we got to send this email, we got to sign this letter, 
you know, which I'm sure we'll get to some of that, those options. That's when you get tens of thousands in a snap as opposed to tens. I think like all the, you know, the grassroots efforts that I, I saw over these past couple months, like it got the attention of some pretty powerful people in Massachusetts, right? Like Senator Markey um, was bringing it up in Congress. It was, did I read that right? Or um, I know he's been paying attention to it. Oh, definitely. You know, this has been going on for about two years now. And when I first heard it, it was just from some neighbors. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way that's got to happen. And then some time went by and I started seeing some signs around town, you know, saying no dumping. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, is this still an issue? And then finally, this past summer, I started hearing more and more people talking about this potential dumping. And you mentioned Senator Markey. We have his support. We have the governor's support. All Cape Cod towns, including all the towns in Martha's Vineyard, Duxbury, Plymouth, have all opposed this idea at town meetings. They've, they've all come out and opposed it. And everybody who lives around here is opposed to it. There's not one person I've bumped into who thinks it's a good idea because Cape Cod Bay has nothing to gain from this. At best, maybe nothing happens, okay? But it's certainly not going to improve anything. And that's when I decided to get involved because I realized that everybody here feels the same way, but whole tech, they must simply not be hearing us because we have to count for something. The people who live here, who work on Cape Cod Bay, there's 200, thousand people who live on Cape Cod and over a million tourists visit here each year. So our desires have to count for something. And that's why I decided to get involved. And Cody, you mentioned the organization part of, of that, getting everybody's voices together. And that's really what led into the start of the petition that we launched three weeks ago, that's more than likely going to gain 10,000 signatures by either tonight or tomorrow morning. And I well, think the value of that is it's an organized on paper proof that people know about this and they are willing to put their name on paper saying that they would prefer for this water to not be released into Cape Cod Bay. That's important for a couple of reasons. First, I know that the folks at Holtec have seen this petition. There's no way they haven't. I've emailed it to them. They get notifications from change.org whenever we hit like, you know, 5,000 signatures. It's been all over social media. I'm sure they've seen it. So they're aware of it. They know that we're watching and that we care. But also, our elected officials who might be able to step in and do something about it from a legal standpoint. It shows that the community is very motivated behind this cause because the governor in particular, can you imagine all the issues on a day-to-day -day basis that these people in power are faced with? They have hundreds of people trying to get 30 seconds of their time. But if we have a petition that has 10,000 names on it, 20,000 names on it, that's going to catch their attention. And perhaps it will 
convince them to stay up late a few nights per week working on this issue. There are a lot of people who have been working on this issue from a legal standpoint. The way I see it, it's more of a, mor a morality standpoint is my role to show that, you know, Holtec, maybe you can find some legal loophole to like get away with dumping this water. Yeah, just because you can but, do something doesn't mean you should, right? Absolutely. And here's proof. We have a whole community of people here who are asking you to please do the right thing. Make an exception to your business model, which is to dump whenever possible because it's the cheapest thing to do. Make an exception here for the people of Cape Cod because we care so much about our environment here that we think it would be in your best interest to spend a little bit more money and ship this stuff to a disposal facility down in Texas where it can be dealt with. And speaking of money, here's the interesting thing. The money that Holtec is using to decommission this plant and to decommission other plants like the Indian Point plant, where they're planning in August to do the same thing to the Hudson River, to discharge a million gallons of radioactive water into the Hudson, which we all know is striped bass spawning ground. So Ryan, Ryan, can I hop in yeah. and make a guess? I'm going to make a guess, and this might be a little oh. absurd. That money is actually our money. Yes, that's what I was talking about. The that money they're using to decommission these plants comes from a $1 billion decommissioning fund that, you know, maybe not so much you, Cody, or Will, or myself, but it our was before my time. Yes. Had been our, paying into. We the people. Yes. <laughs> and the whole intent of establishing this decommissioning fund was to have it done safely for the communities. And Holtec has access to this money and they have a moral obligation to use this money in the benefit of the communities. So that's like where the morality of this whole dilemma is. The money that they're using and that they're trying to cut costs with was set aside to do this the right way. And that's what we want to see done here on Cape Cod. We want them to spend the extra money, do it the right way, and not try to cut costs and just pull the plug and let it drain into the bay. So let's let's take a one quick step back there and dive into, uh, while I'm not a nuclear scientist, I'm also not a financial expert, so do not take any like Bitcoin buying advice from this podcast, but... Let's take it. Let's take a step into the financials there, because from what I understand, when Holtec purchased this, this plant was not a big purchase. I believe Diane uh, at the um, Cape was it Cape Cod Salty Fly Rotters. I don't want to mess up the group. Cape Cod um, Salties. Cape Cod Salty. So I listened uh, to her speech there. I believe this was purchased for a whopping, get this, Will, one thousand dollars. The plants. Right. You would probably be That's thinking correct. hundreds of thousands to millions. And now you might be thinking, OK, well, clearly it's going to cost a lot to decommission a nuclear power plant. So something doesn't add up here. Why would they buy it so low? Well, it's because they're low it's like their job, right, to yep. take it on. So yeah. purchased for a thousand and this decommissioning trust fund that they have access to is one point two billion from what I understand. And if to add one other detail in there, I believe. She said at one point that the fine for dumping, if they're caught 
legally doing this, which we have all acknowledged there's more than just the financials here. It's just the morality of destroying our ecosystem or potentially destroying. Um, the fine was $60,000 per day from what Diane said. So if you do the That's math correct. there to transport it, like you're calling for, which seems like a very logical solution out of the possible solutions here, they estimated maybe $20 million. So they could and spend $20 million to have this transferred, or they could get caught for documented days without even knowing what the undocumented days are for dumping for, I believe, almost consecutively a year. I haven't done a lot of math classes in uh, recent years. I've been harassing fish more often. But if you do the math on a $60,000 fine, I believe they could dump nonstop for 300 and something days. And it would still be cheaper than that $20 million transfer, which the $20 million, even if we decide that's ethically the best route and it does add up to that penny for penny without knowing all the financials of this, that's only roughly about 4% of that $1.2 billion trust fund. So a little bit of math there and definitely open to correction if I missed the mark there. But this seems like a penny counting issue, which if we take a step back, is not really the issue here. I don't I don't think anyone cares whether or not this is or isn't legal or how much Holtec makes off of decommissioning a power plant that the community is saying, get the damn thing out of here. So, you know, make your money, get your money, Holtec. This is your business. Don't put it in our water because there is so much risk and nothing to gain other than a little profit margin cut. Exactly. And that 20 million to transport it, off-site, there's a good chance that's been highly inflated as well from what I've gathered. It's, Interesting. There's so, a very good chance it does not cost that much. So they could even dump for more days. Change my math problem there. Move around a couple of variables will get back to me there. Um, but yeah, you know, so so the financials are there and it doesn't take an idiot to read that at face level and say, okay, this this is probably what's going on here. But then we can also take a step to the legal side, right? And we all agree legality is not might be the path to stopping this, but is not why any of us care about this. It's because we care about the ecosystem and the communities and the people who who live and utilize and, and run their businesses off them, too. There's a major threat to business here. ASGA's core motto is better business through conservation. Let's conserve our resources so we all have more abundant businesses. If you kill the bay, a lot of businesses based in the bay are going to suffer. From a legal side, it seems like there's basically three stop gaps to this, right? At the federal level, you have the Clean Water Act, which uh, was just implemented recently with the Pebble Mine win out in Alaska. Um, so maybe a great, uh, great template and some momentum to build off of that a national campaign won success on behalf of the community and the people. You have state law, and then you also have basically the settlement agreement that Holtec made with the attorney general when they purchase that correctly. So you have, you have three tiers to run them through to legally try to stop this, even if that's, that's not the major goal here. And what lawyers have told me is that settlement agreement, when they purchased the plant, the state of Massachusetts did a really nice job of stepping in and saying, if you're going to purchase this plant, you need to promise to abide by Massachusetts state law. And I do not think that occurred 
in other areas of the country where whole tech has purchased these plants. So we are really fortunate to have them agree when they sign the papers to abide by state law. Now, the challenge now is enforcing that and actually carrying through with that. So that's really, I think, where our best angle comes from a legal standpoint. And again, that's where the petition comes in so powerfully is to get the attention of the governor and the attorney general to remember the settlement agreement and really work to enforce it. So Ryan, I guess that kind of leads into a good a good section here for our listeners, right? There's obviously the petition going on and we'll we'll link that to this podcast and put it out on social and what have you. Um are there any other um you know action items that guys who anglers in Massachusetts or even, you know, neighboring neighboring states or heck down in down in Florida and Co- Cody's, you know, neck of the woods can uh lend their voice to you know, ensure that this dumping doesn't occur. When it comes well, to clean water, I think I got a couple of friends down here in Florida. Oh, I know you do. Mind, who don't <laughs> mind speaking up. So I, you know, Ryan, I think I, you were at like maybe 9,500, 9,200, 9,400, somewhere around there, right? On the petition. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I'll censor myself here, but that is going over 10,000 pretty soon. Don't worry about that. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Cody. You know, for any local anglers who might be listening to this, the next meeting of the NDCAP is March 27th at 6.30 p.m. at Town Hall in Plymouth. And my idea, and as well as the folks who have been working on this issue, is to really jam-pack that meeting. You know, really get as many people there as possible. If we could get well over 100 people to attend that meeting and just be present, then that's also going to make a big statement. So any local folks, if you're available March 27th at 6.30 p.m., please consider showing up at Plymouth Town Hall. More national folks, people who can't attend the meeting, I think signing the petition is obviously extremely helpful. I've asked about letter writing, and there's been a lot of that done over the last two years. And I attended a meeting actually last night, and we talked about you know writing letters to the governor and, and things like that. And people actually thought that, you know, for the time being, we weren't going to bombard our elected officials with letters. They are aware of this and they they all oppose the dumping. So based off of the meeting I was at last night, I'm going to not ask people to write letters to elected officials, at least at this stage in the game. But, um, you know, if any other action items come up that I can think of, I'll, I'll let you guys know. But as of right now, the best I can come up with is the petition. That makes sense. And I, th- I think from what I've seen with clean water efforts down here in Florida, if and when the time does come to flip the switch on letter writing to elected officials, um, they, they better have some sort of filter on their inbox. Because I'm sure, especially once we get this out to the right audience, they're going to receive a lot of communication. So that's uh, the petition makes sense as the next step to show your critical mass, right? All right, there's 50,000 people here that are now signed on to this and they're well aware of it. So if you want that switch to be flipped and you want to start these communications, they are uh, teetering on the edge and and ready to uh, 
ready to act at any given time. Yeah. And, and unlike, Absolutely. unlike that, you know, down, down in your neck of the woods, Cody, it, it, it kind of seems like the, um, or not, I shouldn't say unlike, but it sounds like the, the decision makers, the legislators in up in mass are kind of on the right side of this. So you don't want to have that, you know, trying to help end up like hindering that by bombarding them. Right. So it's always, it's always that, uh, that delicate mm-hmm. balance, right? For sure. And the other thing that uh, all these people are not aware of is down here when a lot of this was going on, we're asking guides to take a day off from business and drive to Tallahassee, which is not very centrally located. (laughs) They're doing a lot of this up north with a lot of guides who have a lot of free time during the winter and boats are not in the water and what may have you. So uh, I have a feeling a lot more New Englanders can find a little time to uh, attend one of these meetings than maybe during mid to end peak season in Florida. Absolutely. Everybody is really uh, behind us on this. And again, every community has come out saying that they oppose this idea of dumping. So there's no shortage of support. It's just a matter of getting whole tech to listen to us. And I really am trying to appeal to their conscious and I'm trying to appeal directly to their CEO because it really is just his decision. You know, he can just say, all right, you know, the people of Cape Cod, they're a little different. They have spoken up. They are being a pain in the butt. And we are just going to transport this and not, you know, deal with them anymore. And that's really my goal, you know, just to speak up, be loud, get heard, and hopefully, you know, be annoying enough to their CEO in a respectful way to have him just make a decision to not carry through with this low budget way of getting rid of this waste. So I guess we'll just kind of, you know, see how things play out between now and the, the next uh, NDCAP meeting. And an important, and a very important part of that petition is that we're giving a little bit of a deadline here. You know, as part of that petition, we're asking that their CEO, Krishna P. Singh, publicly withdraw his plan to dump the water before the next NDCAP meeting on March 27th. That's our goal with the petition. Now, if that doesn't happen, we're not just going to give up and say that, okay, that's the end of it. You know, we'll keep pushing, but that is our goal here. And I'm still hopeful that he's at home right now, maybe pulling up change.org and seeing that ticker a new people, a new person signing up every single minute. And I hope that it is having a influence on him. Um, you know, that might be a pipe dream for me, but that's just kind of how I think about it. Now, if, if Tony were on here, Will, I think he would be saying that uh, that CEO is probably sitting at home next to a fireplace with his 57 servants. Uh, yeah. Bringing chocolate dip cherries thinking like ah these all these little peasants think i'm gonna listen as he gets his third gold-plated uh dinner of the year but somewhere in between is likely the the right answer where ryan is very good-hearted and tony's heart is full of coal after decades of policy work but you know it is interesting and i i don't want to tangent too far off into some of the florida stuff being connected to that Uh, what i do find interesting here is this is not necessarily this isn't like a, a natural disaster, piney point type thing that was going on and happened. And is this mission critical? How did we get to this point? 
you guys are ahead of it, right? And it's also not even a plant that is being salvaged and saved for future business. It's in the process of being removed. So there's actually a decent amount of, I don't want to say positive, but there's everyone is kind of working towards one goal, which is this plant being gone, the community moving on. Holtec just wants to get the plant gone because they want all their money and move on to the next plant because that's what they do is decommission plants, right? So everyone really is working towards one, I guess, common goal, minus the fact that someone in here along this process is trying to, to shortchange the rest of the stakeholders by maximizing their profit and taking the shortcut, right? So it's it's one detail, but it's not this giant monstrosity that hopefully, no pun intended, you have to clean up for and react to. You guys are on the front half of this, which is, uh, I guess, a little ray of, ray of hope is like, okay, we're not going to get to the point of one of these uh, nationally promoted disasters that goes down in Florida that has the governors involved and there's all sorts of lawsuits and the communities are struggling. We don't have to get to that point, figure out your money and truck the water somewhere else. And let's move on with our day. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we're looking to do. Love it, man. Well, unless you have anything else to add or will, if you have any other questions, I just want to thank you again for hopping on folks listening. We're going to put the petition all over social. You see it on ASGA social and in our link tree, go sign on whether you're from Massachusetts, from the, around the rest of the country. I don't know. Can you, when you sign on, uh, can you leave a little note or is it just name and name and your address? I can't remember. You can absolutely leave a comment and that's very important. At the next meeting, I'm going to be personally handing the petition with all the signatures and all the comments to the representatives from Holtec. I will actually be right across the table from them, giving them the petition. And all those comments will be included. So okay. by all means, you know, if you have something to say, please go ahead and say it. Yeah, awesome. So let them know what, whether you're from the, the local area or one day hope to travel to it and stripers are on your bucket list and you hope that the, the bay is alive and thriving when you get there, whatever that may be. Leave your comment, let people know, sign on. If you're local to the area, March 27th is the next NDCAP meeting, if I nailed the acronym correctly. March 27th, show up and make your voice heard. Um, th this is, this is what it means to be involved in an engaged stakeholder and, and stand up for what you love. So thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate you. Let's knock this over 10,000. If we can't get it tonight, hopefully in the next couple of days and, uh, we'll keep everyone, hopefully we'll have you on again in the next couple of weeks or months, um, as we learn more and give people another update. Yeah. We didn't even get into the, uh, the Cape Cod Day fishery. So we'll have to do that another time, Ryan. You know, it's yeah. kind of funny because this past summer we had the most epic hoagie huge striped bass bite that anybody in their lifetime can remember and it happened literally right in front of the nuclear plant so we had humpback whales that were in 20 feet of water feeding on these menhaden we had 40 and 50 pound stripers and this all stayed right in that stretch from the nuclear power plant south to manamet and it was just, I was, I was there watching all this happen with the power plant in the background. And I just couldn't help but think that this was just some sort of sign. Um, you know, just, I, 
it was just uncanny how it worked out. So maybe that will happen again. If you guys are ever up in the Cape Cod area, it'd be great to uh, take you out onto Cape Cod Bay and, and show you guys what it's all about. 100%, man. You're talking to two people who would definitely uh, maybe hop out on a little bit of work to do a little bit of fishing. Would love to take you up on that. And you definitely got to come back and talk fishing specifically. This isn't the podcast of negativity and gloom and doom. We also do love fishing and geek out on everything that is uh, fishing and the, the ecosystem. So clean water, abundant fisheries. We need them both. Better for our culture, for our public health and our businesses. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. Uh, sign the petition and we will uh, talk to you guys here soon. Thanks, Ryan. Talk to you later, Cody. Thanks, guys.